One other community concern item that I failed to mention, uh, and this uh, is more directly to those of you that have been around a bit longer than some of the others, um, and uh, some of you who are on social media uh, understand and you've already heard this, but uh, Jason Stark, who... Uh, uh, Spent, grew up in the faith here. He didn't grow up here, uh, but he really cut his teeth on what it meant to be a Christ follower. Learned that from many of you. Was an active part of our worship team and is currently working on a doctorate as, at Asbury Theological Seminary. Jason is getting ordained next weekend. And so special time in his life and in the life of his family. Uh, if you have relationship with Jason, if you're on social media with him and you haven't done so already, or Val, make sure you communicate. If you've got email, if you need a regular mail address and you want to send him a note and a card, uh, I know that would be greatly appreciated because you as a congregation, even if you didn't know him now, uh, he is a, one of ours. And so anything you do to celebrate with him would be absolutely awesome. Diane and I toyed briefly about making the trip to Chattanooga, Tennessee uh, to, for it, uh, but it just didn't work out for us. So, uh, But just celebrate with them if you have the opportunity. In, uh, in recent weeks, I've been taking some time to touch on a few highlights from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And today I'm going to walk through uh, chapter 4 a little bit. But before I get to that, I want to do a little exercise and define a couple of terms. Um, what I want you to do, don't make it awkward and let them know that you've picked them, all right? I had you do this before about praying for them. But what I want you to do is, I, and if you're turning around, you're going to have to be really, really good at this. But I want you to look around the room and pick someone in your mind that you can see and observe who is not a relative, all right? And what I want you to do is glance at them for a second. You know, you can scan the room, but pick somebody, all right? And then I want you to make a mental list of the ways they are different from you, all right? And to keep it simple, uh, we'll count on our fingers, all right? If you get to 10 before I say stop, raise your hands, all right? Stop before you get to your toes, even if you're on a roll, all right? Because I don't want to see your toes, all right? But so when I say go, look around the room, pick somebody, and start counting. How am I different than that person? And if you get to 10 before I say stop, raise your hands. Everybody understand? Nod your heads. I have hair and Todd doesn't if I were to pick Todd, all right? Um, they're at least on my head. Uh, we both have hair on our back, but that's another story. But anyway... <laughs> Too much information already. All right, so look around and pick somebody and start counting the ways that they are different from you. Let me see those hands when you get to 10. You haven't even picked a person yet. Oh, Michelle's up. All right, somebody else? Come on, I don't even see any fingers moving. You guys are killing me. Play along. All right, come on. I see a few hands. All right. So, I don't think a lot of you played, and it hurts my feelings. <clears throat> so, just, all right, raise your, did everybody come up with 10? All right. Some of you didn't even try. All right. So, think of the first thing you noticed that was different about them, and on the count of three, 
I want all of you to say that out loud. One, two, three. All right. So what did you come up with? What were some of the differences? One at a time now. Age? All right. Yeah, I could look around. Everybody's younger than I am, so that's pretty easy. But all right. What else? Spartan fan. We know who he might have picked, but all right. We don't want to hear the rest of the list because it's probably all related to that. But anyway, all right. Somebody else? Hair. All right. Gender. Anybody make notice of gender? I mean, I know it's not politically correct to notice these things, but all right. All right. So you got that person in mind still? Nod your heads and at least make me think you're helping me. All right. So think about that same person and now do the opposite. Make a list in your mind of all the ways, all the things you have in common. All right? Go. Hands up when you get to ten. Things you have in common or ways that you are similar. Anybody at ten yet? I'm, I'm seeing less response. Ten is a lot. All right. Thank you, Cheryl. All right. So, which was easier? Differences or similarities? Todd said similarities. Anybody else say differences? Okay. Most times, people will say it's easier to focus on the differences. And I want to just talk about two terms. Uniformity and unity. Uniformity looks at the differences. Unity looks at the similarities. And this is an important distinction. In Ephesians chapter 4, and I read this at the end of September, but in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul makes a passionate plea or a command calling the people to unity, not to uniformity. Uniformity is everybody looking, acting the same way. And that's not the standard that Paul was calling for. Unity is emphasizing the similarities while appreciating the differences. So what I want to do is just begin to unpack Ephesians chapter 4 just a little bit. In verse 1, he writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Paul is saying, as Christ followers, we each have a calling, and he challenges us to be worthy of that calling. And what I want to remind you is Christ died so that you and I could lean into the calling that he has for us. And I'm not talking about a calling to go into full-time Christian service. You know, it's kind of we kind of mess up when we call that a calling because... It is a calling on those specific individuals, but it implies that if you're not called into full-time Christian service vocationally, you're not called into full-time Christian service. But as I read Scripture, are you following me here or am I confusing you? As I read Scripture, we're all called, if we are Christ followers, we're all called into full-time Christian service. The difference is I get paid for it and you don't, all right? I'll give you the you know, all your rewards in heaven. No, we're, we're all called to, to full-time Christian service. And so Paul is saying, 
he he's setting the stage for what he's going to say next, and he's going to explain what it looks like to live a life that is worthy of the calling. All right? And, and that's what we're striving for. Verse 2, he says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So again, seeing that in context, verse 1, he says, Paul, he says, hey, I'm locked up for this cause. All right? So I'm calling you to step up. I mean, it'd be one thing if he was at Club Med goofing off and calling them out to step up. He says, I'm locked up for this calling, and I'm calling you to step up. I urge you to live a life worthy of that calling. And then he begins to say in verse 2 what it looks like for that calling to be to be worthy of that calling. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Friends, we're going to talk about unity. My title was The Bond of Peace. We're going to talk about what that looks like. And these are the building blocks of unity. Being completely humble, completely gentle, patient, and bearing with one another in love. Humble, gentle, patient, love. Those are essential if unity is our goal and if we're looking to really have a bond of peace. And this is where he says that. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Two key phrases there. Make every effort. I like to think I'm really good about making every reasonable effort. I, I like to add reasonable because some people are, just would call me to be unreasonable, to have a bond of peace. But unfortunately, I could not find a translation where it said, make every reasonable effort. They all kind of said the same thing. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And just use your imagination. What would it look like if as fellow believers, members of the same body, we were bound by a commitment to unity and peace? And if that binding was completely humble, completely gentle, patient, and loving. I'm thinking y'all wouldn't get on my nerves quite so much. (laughs) Because I'd have my head in the right place. That's not about you, that's about me. All right? If I'm not committed to making every effort for that kind of unity, accentuating, always accentuating what we have in common instead of accentuating and focusing on what we don't have in common, I'm thinking that would go a long ways. So just imagine what it might look like. And let's look at it in another way. I almost did this, but that would just be really take too much time. But imagine if you were handcuffed to another person. All right. Just imagine if you were handcuffed to a serious Christ follower who supported the other candidate. Oh my goodness, did my head just explode? Imagine if you were handcuffed to someone who had a vast... I mean, they were passionate about Jesus. 
and they had a drastically different opinion about this whole COVID thing than you did. What would it take for the two of you who are bound together to achieve maximum efficiency? You would have to be humble, gentle, patient, and bearing with one another in love. There would have to be a common purpose. You know what? You and I really disagree on this, but we really agree on serving Jesus, so somehow we got to figure this out. And friends, please understand, I haven't figured this out, but it doesn't make it any less scriptural. There would have to be a common purpose. We'd have to come up with some kind of a plan. We would have to be flexible. We would have to choose to cooperate. What might be different? If you approached our relationships within the church from this perspective. And I gotta believe that's what Paul had in mind when he said, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I know this is simple and I know you've heard it a gazillion times from all kinds of preachers and speakers far more eloquent than I. But when I think about make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace, when I think about all that's going on in the world around us, sometimes I need somebody to whack me upside of the head and say, Steve, if two people who disagree are in the same boat and one of them starts poking holes in the other one's boat they're both going to sink it has grieved me deeply that with all that is going on and I'm not saying I've been at the head of the list in fixing this but with all that's going on in our country I have not seen the unity of the church rising to the surface. I've not seen the unity between individual believers rising to the surface as much as it might. If I were to have to answer the question, Steve, have you made every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace? Every effort? Can we go back to every reasonable effort? Friends, I don't have an answer. But Scripture calls us to wrestle with it. Some of you remember the story in John chapter 17. Jesus is just before Jesus gets arrested. He knows it's coming. He knows the beating's coming. He knows the crucifixion is coming. And he, in John chapter 17... He just gets on his face before his father and begins to pour out his heart. And he starts out by saying, you know, Father, if there's any way for you to get this done without me going through this, that would be awesome. And then he prays for those closest to him. And then he goes on and he prays for all believers. In John chapter 17, verse 20, he says this. And and just picture him, just all the emotion that courses through his body. My prayer is not for them alone, referring to those who already believed. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you and me. And what does he pray in that moment? That all of them may be one. 
just as you are in me and I am in you. That kind of makes my head explode a little bit. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. In that moment, Jesus was crying out to God. And for you and I to be one, like Jesus the Son and Jesus the Father are one, I don't understand the Trinity, I'll be honest with you, but I'm thinking they're pretty tight. All right? And when I think about a call that Jesus, in those moments, was concerned about us being one, I realize i got to wrestle with that. I want to talk briefly about unity of belief, not uniformity of doctrine. This passage, as I read through it, it kind of moves from the realization of unity in the Spirit to a focus on unity in the Son and then the source of unity in the Father. So just walk with me. Chapter, I already read verse 3. We're going to read again. Ephesians 4, verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. Again, I read this a few weeks ago, and you can't help but catch this. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So again, one body, one spirit, one hope. The church universal is a visible community with core values in common. One body, one spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is a common denominator among believers. The same spirit that fell on the Jews at Pentecost is the same spirit that fell on the Gentiles in the home of Cornelius. Friends, I'm just saying, that's the same spirit falling on the red and the same spirit falling on the blue, if you know what I'm saying. I know that may make your head explode, but it's true. Thank you, dear. One body, one spirit, one hope, and that hope is the glorious future in Christ. There is a lot to be found in common. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. We are all, we all have the same master as Christ followers and he assigns different roles, different tasks, different responsibilities. Friends, you and I are different. Because of that difference, you can have a Christian influence in places and people that I never can. And the same is true for me. If we understand we all have the same master and we embrace the roles, tasks, and responsibilities he's given us. One faith, we must all accept him by faith. Faith in him alone will save us. That does not change. We must believe that he is the son of God and savior of man and that no one comes to the father except through him. It's that simple. One baptism, the outward and visible expression of our commitment to the one Lord and the one faith, symbolizing one's identification with Christ in his death and resurrection, sealing with his Holy Spirit and incorporation into his body, the church. 
one God, one Father, one who is all in all. This is contrasted with the pluralism that was prevalent in Paul's day. There's just one God. Every tree isn't a God. Every bush isn't a God. Every animal isn't a God. There's one God. One Father. That redemptive parental love and that awesome creative power. In one who is in all, who is all in all, there is one God, one Father, who is omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, always there. As Paul states it, these are the essential beliefs around which we can build and must build unity. How people interpret them, how they apply them may vary. But if the belief is there, then there can and should be unity. Following his emphasis on the foundation for unity of belief, Paul shifts to the personal level, and that's where I'm going to wrap up. Unity of purpose, not uniformity of practice. Now, I'll be honest. You probably already figured this out. In my view, the world would be way better off if everybody would just do what I think they should do. I mean, let's be honest. I've got it all figured out. Can't you tell? I would be comfortable. I think I would be comfortable if it was uniformity of practice, but we know better. It really wouldn't work that way. But we can find unity of purpose. Verses 7 and 8, Paul writes, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, we're going to come back to 8 in a second. Yeah, we'll stick on 7. But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To each one of us. That's you and me, as well as the Ephesians. We of each, as Christ followers, have been given his grace. And it's based on what he felt we should have. We're not talking saving grace. We're talking equipping grace, the grace that empowers us to live and serve and be who he called us to be. And then Paul goes into a parenthetical statement. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. So again, he empowers us as he sees fit. Verses 9 and 10, again, this is kind of a parenthetical statement. Uh, but it says, what does it mean he ascended, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended to, to, is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And I just want to pause there and say that is a parenthetical, parenthetical statement in the midst of this call to unity. But it's really establishing Christ's credentials or the foundation upon which he is able to equip us and build his church. He talks there about lower earthly regions. And there are three common interpretations of that. And since I read the passage, I'm just throwing this out. Some people feel that speaks to his descent to earth. Compared to heaven, earth is definitely a lower earthly region. Some people think it refers to his time in the death following crucifixion. And some faith tribes see it as a speaking to Hades and believe there's a resting place for souls between death and resurrection. Friends, can I just say, however we interpret that phrase or whether we focus on it at all, the truth remains 
that Christ is Lord of the whole universe. He is Lord of heaven and earth. He is Lord of past, present, and future. And because of that, he and he alone is uniquely positioned to equip individuals for building up the body of Christ in a spirit of unity. All right, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. If we're talking about unity of purpose, it's important for us from time to time to just stop individually and think, what is our purpose as Christ followers? The bond of peace and unity, each one of us embracing his equipping grace, is that a part of our purpose? Some in leadership, preparing God's people for works of service. Some in works of service, ministering to and with the whole body. Imagine that whole being handcuffed together. If everybody gets their role, some of you remember, you remember the old three-legged race? Wasn't it a nuisance when the person you were working with wouldn't cooperate? Some of us were inclined to just try to pick them up and carry them, all right? That didn't work so well either. Some in leadership, some in works of service ministering to the body. And there's so much that could be said about this whole ministering in the unique areas he's equipped us. But that's a different story for a different time. But all of this so that the body of Christ may be built up. And I just ask the question, ask yourself, how am I contributing to the building up of the body of Christ. I think that is more important now than any time in recent memory. With what's going on right now, how am I contributing to the building up of the body? All pursuing unity in the faith, all in the knowledge of the Son of God, all seeking to become mature while attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Just don't raise your hand because it would be awkward. But just ask yourself, have I recently just been acting like a spoiled baby because I'm just so fed up with what's going on around me? Am I really acting, aspiring to behave and think and talk in a mature, Christ-following way? Or do I just let my emotions get away from me? I started here, and I'm going to come back to it. Maybe if my clicker works here. All right, change that slide for me, Steve, if you would. What is our purpose? Is it going to work? There we go. Uh, Verse 1, Ephesians chapter 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Next slide. Be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Verse 3. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Next slide. Bond of peace. Is that what drives my thought process and shapes my behavior and permeates and influences my relationships right now? A bond of peace. Little difference. I'm suspecting because I didn't call it out. Nobody caught it. If you did, gold star to you. My title was The Bond of Peace with a question mark. That slide is The Bond of Peace with an exclamation point. 
am I going to make that happen? I'm coming back to the last two verses of the text, and it's in uh, a translation or a paraphrase called the message. If you'd go to that, Steve, that'd be awesome. Well, let me see. Is that that's the first one? Good job. Thank you. Uh, Christ followers talking about us in skilled servant work. That's his vision. That's this bond of peace. That's his spirit of unity. Is Christ followers in skilled servant work, working within Christ's body, the church, until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other, efficient and graceful in response to God's Son. What a thought! Fully mature adults, fully developed within and without, fully alive in Christ. Wouldn't you like to get to the end of your days and have people, somebody, because you're going to outlive me, somebody other than me stand up and say they were fully mature, fully alive, fully developed, and alive in Christ. What a thought. In a time when so many forces seem to be driving division, when so many voices call for uniformity at the expense of unity, friends, we must not lose sight of the fact that as Christ followers, and I'm, I'm really reluctant to say this, because now I have to try to deal with it. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Through my words through my actions, through my posts, through my tweets, through my thoughts. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Last thing I'm going to say. Don't apply that to anybody but you. I can immediately start rattling off the folks who aren't making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I could name names. I could tell you where they live. I could tell you exactly how they're doing it. And Jesus is saying, Steve, Steve, Steve. You got no room to throw stones, bud. You and you alone make every effort. Father, I thank you for your goodness, and I thank you for these people and their patient listening. And I pray that you would help each one of us to grapple with that in the fashion that you would have us wrestle with it. Not for anybody else, but just for us. Father, I thank you so much for Paul's challenge. And I pray that each one of us would grapple with it for ourselves. And Father, if we're looking at it on a scale of 1 to 10, whether we're at 9.9 or whether we're at point nine that every one of us would feel the prompting of your holy spirit to move the needle a little bit further toward making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace and every one of us would move the needle just a little when it comes to being completely humble completely gentle patient and bearing with one another in love with those who agree with us and those who don't disagree with or don't agree with us. Father, we ask this in the power and the strength of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Michelle.